1: This is the John Oakley Show podcast.
0: One thing that's really interesting for those of us who are a little bit older than millennials is that when we were kids um, and, you know, sort of our our coming-of-age times, we all watched and listened to and read the same news, and then we came together with like-minded others to form our opinions. But through social media many, if not most, people now receive their news already filtered through opinions. We receive it from our own influencers, our own opinion leaders. And so we we start out with an opinion before looking into all the facts. We trust those people to send us the right stories. And social media, because of its ability to not only spread the word, but for everybody to communicate together and jump in together, people can really get... Um, you know, they could, they could come together as a community for a cause in ways that are often incredibly, you know, positive, but it's a lot of passion and a lot of sharing, not necessarily starting from the same, from, a, from, a, from all facts. So social media tends to amplify and share things, and especially things that, are, that people are passionate about in a way that's very different than we all received news when, we were, when you and I were kids.
1: So it becomes a shared cultural reference point, and as you say, it's amplified for better for worse. Uh, I guess that's subjective, but you say the influencer. What about the role of the influencer? Uh, how culturally significant or impactful is this?
0: So what happens now is that you know people, an influencer becomes passionate about something, positive or negative, and they take to their audience to say, "Hey, this is you know amazing or outrageous. Please join me in my feelings and my beliefs." and because we have such an immediate and personal connection with our influencers we tend to want to join in just the way we would join in with a friend who is you know is very emotional about something we want to join in and be a part of that and so these influencers have a tremendous amount of impact on what we know about and how we feel about it
1: yeah there was and by a story the
0: way, by the way un- unlike you know the evening news influencers become part of our lives and so they talk to us they whisper in our ears they send us messages and so it really becomes very personal in a way that traditional media has never been able to
1: well is that realistically personal or is it illusory
0: so we kind of joke about the mirage of the internet you know that that we feel i mean the sort of sea change of social media is that we feel that we have a personal relationship with people who don't know us and we don't really know them and so, you know, it's, it's you can say it's illusory, but it is true that the really effective um, influencers, what they do is they bring us into their lives and share their personal moments with us the way a friend or a family member would do. The only thing is that it's not, even though it feels two ways, it's not they are really sharing by broadcasting more than by actually connecting, having a personal relationship with each of us.
1: Again, with Karen North, professor of social media at the University of Southern Cal's Annenberg School of Communications. You know, I was citing before you joined us that uh, there have been cases and one that, you know, that's happened in our own backyard where Jessica Mulrooney, who is a friend of Meghan Markle's, by the way, attended the wedding along with her hubby, Ben Mulrooney, who's a, a fixture in the Canadian media uh, firmament, Uh, she's just had her TV show canceled because an influencer called her out on her textbook white privilege. And this influencer, I guess, had enough of a critical mass. It's almost like back in the day, give us Barabbas! And suddenly, you know, it sways the crowd. Uh, These folk uh, have inordinate power, it seems to me. And if you uh, run afoul of them, or just in any sense on social media if you've got the trends going against you you could be in deep doo-doo reese witherspoon let me bring it into another area that i think you're familiar with uh yeah. she's got a clothing line draper james and now she's being sued because she had a covid 19 giveaway for teachers where she said any teacher show me your credentials blah 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 you get a free or so it was intimated they only had 250 dresses to give away and Tens of thousands of teachers answered to this and followers and so on and so forth. Does she now have to wear it, basically? I mean, what about this faux pas?
0: This one is so surprising to me because, uh, you know, Reese Witherspoon did this, and she did it very early on before people were sort of jumping on the, um, you know, the philanthropic bandwagon after, you know, the COVID-19 outbreak. And um, if you read even the lawsuit, it says, while supplies last. And the lawsuit says that because she only that even though it says while well, supplies last, people thought there would be more dresses, and so therefore they're suing her for punitive damages and i don't I'm not a lawyer, but i don't understand you know i don't understand that the the and then they said there are other people who gave away millions of dollars worth of stuff. why is she only giving away thousands of dollars worth and the thing is that yeah, you have to wonder whether it puts celebrities and influencers in a position where they have to decide they have to worry about whether to take action or not to take action, whether to speak or not speak, and what to say or what not to say. And because celebrities and influencers pretty much always, even popular ones, always have some detractor, it's whether or not the detractor has enough influence to harm them, you know, to attack them. And, you know, it's a very complicated time for influencers right now, who, by the way have a sort of social responsibility to speak out on meaningful social issues, and yet sometimes they get attacked anyway.
1: Well, we saw that with a series of celebrities who in concert, I guess, spoke out against their white privilege, their own white privilege. These were white actors and actresses, and they were excoriated for what seemingly, I guess in their minds, was a heartfelt plea to, uh, please forgive us for our transgressions, understand us. And they were attacked on social media. Do you know about that?
0: I do. I mean it, you know it's very it's very hard. Well, I mean there I'll give you one other one. I was really surprised to see the Paw Patrol, which is a show for toddlers. It's a cartoon for toddlers where all the little dogs wear uniforms. They're firemen and policemen and I think chefs and whatever they are. I can't remember. My kids are too old to have watched that. But Paw Patrol has been called out because the police dog there's a police dog and it shows police in a positive light. And, you know, you, who would ever think that that would be attacked, right? It just seems like, you know, for generations, little kids like anybody in uniform, police, fire, like I said, chefs. It doesn't matter. So it's um, you know, it's very complicated right now. And like I said, people, I think that there are people who, let's take a step away from people who are not well-meaning. There are a lot of very well-meaning, very um, passionate people who are trying to do the right thing, and it's very hard to figure out what, what the right thing is in an environment where people are so rightfully upset.
1: Well, with Paw Patrol, if I understand correctly, even the New York Times weighed in, their editorial division, the op-ed folk, mm-hmm. uh, talked about how this is sort of uh, counterintuitive right now because as you say, uh, this animated series for children is painting police in a positive light, and uh, now ain't the time. They say the good cop act is wearing thin. Man, oh, man, nothing is sacred, I guess, in this day and age. Uh, I've got to ask you, though, when it comes to social media, uh, I need to understand this phenomenon because uh, I'm looking at it and without any bias or, you know, malice aforethought, Donald Trump's tweets. I mean, <laughs> you know, is this uh, a form of brilliance that's eluding me? Is it a liability? I mean, he's going over the heads of traditional media, as we know. But uh, what's the end game here? How is this purposeful?
0: So, I' have an interesting twist on your going over you know, going around traditional media. But I have to say that you know I've, I've always wanted to teach a class at USC. I have not done it. but I will, would love to teach a class that's basically every day take what Donald Trump says and then try because I teach in the communication department and then try to figure out what he actually meant and how it could have been done in a more reasonable way. Um, I do not teach that class, but it's, it's I think of it every day. But um so Donald Trump uses Twitter, It's very complicated, but he uses Twitter in a way that is sort of genius in a way because of some of the things that he does. It's like somebody referred to it as the best practices in social media, not the content but the tactics. But here's the crazy thing. Twitter is a very, very small social network by comparison to the big platforms, you know, the sort of Facebooks. Mm -hmm. But yet it has so much influence now. And, you know, I defy you to find a a listener – who sees Donald Trump's tweets directly. What happens is Donald Trump tweets something and the news reports it immediately. And if he doesn't tweet anything, they report that he didn't tweet. So if you look at the demographics of Twitter, something like two-thirds of all the verified accounts are journalists. And if you look at all the other accounts, the, the other verified accounts, they're all influencers. So when Donald Trump tweets something, it goes directly to people like you. And then you have something to talk about because people go to Twitter, influencers and journalists, people with influence, people who are communicators, go to Twitter to get a headline, a heads up, a quote, you know, a fact. And there's Donald Trump tweeting directly to you guys, meaning that people like me and my friends don't ever have to go to Twitter because for sure you're going to tell us what Donald Trump did there. And by the way, I worked in the Clinton White House, and it was always a question, how do you get the press to cover what the president says? And now the president doesn't have to have a press conference and hope that you cover the right thing. He just has to put it out there in less than 280 characters,
1: and you will cover it it's catnip, there's no question. But when you, when you said it's it's complicated, I was fascinated by that because I'm sometimes looking at it saying it, it's not really what it appears to be. There's got to be some real thinking behind it, and I'm not even sure he's writing the tweet content himself. It must be done, it could be by committee or whatever. What is your sense for You think he's really there in his PJs late at night and decides <laughs> to fire off anything willy-nilly and uh, hope, you know, it, it gets a response? Or is this all all orchestrated and there's there's a brilliance or a genius behind it all
0: so I you know again I worked for the other team so I don't have insider scoop on the on the Trump White House but um, I personally if I had to guess I think that there's some combination of him in his impulsive very emotional passionate way you know speaking out and, um, and I think there are also people who have access to his account who tweet strategically. But he does things. I'll give you an example. He is that president who retweets things from a random person who quotes people, who shares content once in a while. And because we all have that, again, the, the crazy new thing with social media is that we all feel that we have a personal relationship, even though we don't. We feel – I get – I hear Donald Trump the same way I hear my best friend – you know, through a text message or a tweet. It comes into my phone in the same way, and they share their private moments. But when Donald Trump retweets or comments to an individual, some random person, his followers have that vicarious feeling that, oh, he just connected with a real person. It could have been me. So we live vicariously through that, and it's a very smart move for politicians to connect and and name and, uh, and you know, sort of... Um, highlight the actions of an individual because vicariously the rest of us feel that oh he cares about me us people like me that uh, that random guy
1: thanks for listening to the john oakley show podcast be sure to rate review and subscribe for free at apple podcasts google podcasts and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio